welcome to Warren Yara's Yuranuri. I'm recording from the Gadigal land in the heart of Sydney, Australia. Warren Yara is a Gadigal name meaning to seek, which sums up the mission of our health professions education research network here at the University of Sydney. And Yuranuri means many voices, which our podcast represents. So I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging of all the lands on which we're present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. I'm here with uh, Lynn Gilbert and Sue Ying Ho, who are here to talk about a paper they published last year, appearing in the August 2020 edition of Infection, Disease and Health, with their colleagues Mary Wire, um, Rosemary Sadsad, Caroan Badrock and Rikadima. It's called... Sustained fall in inpatient MRSA prevalence after a video reflexive ethnography project and observational study. That is really quite a mouthful. It is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It describes a lot about the paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really excited to be talking to you both about this project because the, the, the process of video ethnography is something that I'm really interested in, but also in this particular setting, so I wonder um, if Lynn and Si Ying, you could tell me a little bit more about your background um, and the rationale for the research that led to the project. Hello, I'm Lynn Gilbert. Um, at the time this study was done, I was uh, an infectious diseases physician and clinical microbiologist at Westmead Hospital, where I was also the infection control lead and very concerned about the fact that we had a very major issue with MRSA colonisation and infection amongst patients in the hospital, but in particular in two surgical wards, which were complex, busy surgical wards shared by multiple surgical units. And after many attempts to reduce the rates of colonisation and infection with MRSA in the patients, um, I came together with my colleague Rick Edema, who had been doing video reflexive ethnography for quite a long time and he approached me with the idea that we might do an inf- a project related to infection control and I thought if we're ever going to get behaviour change with improved compliance with infection control in these wards this might be something that would be a bit of a circuit breaker and something different. At the same time um, my colleague Matthew O'Sullivan and I were developing a, uh, a, a genomic method for strain typing of MRSA, which the aim of which the aim was to try to track the passage of MRSA strains from one patient to another, so that we could better interrupt it. So Rick and I each applied for NHMRC grants and to our absolute amazement got both, and that resulted in this project that was at least partly based in these two surgical wards, where we aimed to um, introduce video reflexive ethnography, which Suyin will tell you about in a moment. But at the time that we did it, it was largely a qualitative study. It was in design to get staff involved and we really didn't have a very clear idea of what the outcomes would be other than that we hoped that the uh, the compliance with hand hygiene and the MRSA would, would improve and the MRSA rates would come down. And we started measuring them right at the beginning. 
of the of the project, but there were complications, which I'll tell you about in a moment. <laughs> and and seeing, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us the, the role that you played in the project and how how you guys met? Oh, okay. Well, hi, I'm Suyin, and um, my background is uh, social science. So I'm a social scientist and. I come from psychology and education, and I found my way to doing a PhD with Rick Edema, who is one of the chief investigators of this project. And the reason that I was um, interested in working with Rick is because he seemed to be doing a lot of work that was very much about getting into the complexity of healthcare practices. So not presuming to know kind of a priori what, what was needed or what should be done, but looking at what actually happened. So my PhD was about um, understanding the production of safety in everyday practices of clinicians. And then um, as a postdoc position, this is where I joined a project with Rick to look at you know, infection control using video reflexive ethnography, which is what's a method that I thought was really exciting because this is you know, something that really gets into the complexity of practices, doing something complicated to look at complicated things. That's the way I like to think about it. Thank you. That's great. And I wonder if, um, well, I think first of all, we'll talk a little bit about video ethnography itself and, and the method um, before we move on to some of the other questions that I've got for you. So, um, I mean, it's quite exciting for me. I, I've, I've been reading up about this, but do you want to tell us a little bit more about that aspect of your project and how that came about? Maybe touch on the ethics of, of doing that as well, I think. Okay, so video reflexive ethnography, and I know it's a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> but um, I can break it down to its components. So we say video because we use video as a way of kind of capturing the complexity of everyday practices. And we do this not to take the footage away to analyze separately, but we bring it back to the practitioners in the field. So clinicians, you know, healthcare staff, whether they're cleaners or wardsmen or um, ward clerks and patients as well to look at what's actually happening in a reflexive process. So we ask them to analyze their the footage with us so that they see um, maybe the taken for granted things in their work. Mm-hmm. They they take a bit of a third party perspective on their work, and so they see things that they may not normally have thought about while they're doing it. It gives them an opportunity to reflect on their practice, to reimagine how they could you know, do things differently and also to recognize ways in which they work, which are really effective and really valuable as well. So that's sort of the video reflexive component about it. The reason we call it ethnography as well is because it's very much about being situated in a context and understanding how everyday practices unfold, which is an ethnographic approach. So that's the method in a nutshell. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but that's how it is. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because that ties in with what you've just been saying, Lynn, about not really knowing what your outcomes were going to be. Um, and that must have posed some challenges along the way. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Yes, it, it certainly posed some challenges in terms of um, the study design and the ultimate efforts that we made to get this published as a, a quantitative study, if you like, as a quantitative outcome. Um, we started, we had in 90, it, several years before done several point prevalence surveys in the wards. This meant swabbing every patient in the ward and culturing the swabs for MRSA and we found a, a, a really distressing 
high rate of colonisation of these patients. And these were people who had come into hospital uh, mostly without MRSA and acquired it while they were in hospital as part of their surgical journey. And we tried a lot of methods, of conventional methods of reducing this, um, which, which failed. And in fact, when we started the study, we did the point prevalence survey again, and the rates were even higher than they had been Gosh. before. So that was the baseline. And um, the, the first mistake was that we hadn't done several baseline point prevalence surveys immediately before we started the video ethnography, uh, reflexive ethnography project. But... Nevertheless, that was our baseline and we repeated the point prevalence survey multiple times over the course of the study, which eventually extended uh, for uh, um, three years uh, in follow-up. The other thing that we wanted to measure was the compliance with hand hygiene. And this was at a time when the National Hand Hygiene Initiative was gradually being rolled out around hospitals. So it was complicated by the fact that there was extra education and training of healthcare workers in hand hygiene and quite frequent audits. But in fact, this, these two wards had largely missed out on much most of the training. It was still happening. So we came at a baseline when their hand hygiene compliance was pretty poor as well. So the project was introduced. It took three months, and I'll get to you to talk about what that involved. Yeah. But over a period of time, we continued to measure the hand hygiene compliance and MRSA colonisation and infection rates in the ward. That's great. I mean, I can, I can imagine, though, that bringing in a video, um, you know, recording people's behaviours and, and getting people to watch them and, and reflect on them must be quite a kind of a complicated process I mean there must be a sensitivities around that I think I you know do you want to tell us a little bit about that process? Sure so over time we've kind of reflected on video reflexive ethnography as a method and a methodology and one of the key principles it's definitely about about care so it's impossible to do this work without caring for your participants insofar as they have to be very comfortable with the process in order to feel safe, not only to be videoed, but also to have, you know, footage of your own practices shown, shown to call, sorry, it not only to be videoed, but also to have footage of your own practices shown to colleagues to be analyzed and scrutinized. And so the way in which we approach this is that we don't, we, we the way in which we approach this is that we contrast the way we do it with surveillance, which is often, you know, a hidden camera yeah. looking down from above <laughs> and you don't really know it's there. Um, rather, we are visible. We make ourselves visible with the video camera. We make sure that we have relationships with the participants ahead of time so that they know who we are, why we're doing this work, and also their options with regards to the um, the process and it's all you know like all research is voluntary they can stop at any time we would delete their footage even if it's already been recorded and that kind of thing we also have another um, approach to ethics which is that it's not just about signing a piece of paper and I know that's you know the case for all research mm -hmm. but for us we ask for consent at every step of the process so yeah. we ask um, we, we invite participants to tell us what they think should be videoed so they have a say in that process as well when we are videoing with them, we are constantly checking if this okay because you know circumstances change. Things can become more complicated than 
we imagine they might be. So we might say, let's start videoing a handover process or maybe going in to see a patient and then something changes and, you know, the situation becomes different. And then we will ask, is this okay to keep videoing? Or a new person might come along and we would have to very quickly introduce ourselves, what we're doing, what the camera is about and so on. So it's a continuous process. So while we're videoing, we're constantly checking. After we video, we check, is it okay for us to keep this footage? Would you like to have a look at it? And we make sure that they have an opportunity to look at the footage before we show it to anyone else and get their consent again to do so, and so on and so forth. So you can imagine that we spend a lot of time trying to make people feel comfortable with the process so that they feel safe enough to talk about their work. But I'm fascinated by, I mean, I'm struggling because I'm thinking, you know, uh, I guess in my head, I'm thinking, oh, all that loss of, what about the loss of data you might have? And what about all the changes that you might force in actually doing the work that you're doing? Um, and and I wonder, you know, how you can uh, manage that or monitor that or even measure, you know, what effect, a bit like, you know, what is the effect of the intervention itself? Let's call it an intervention, your, your study. Um, s- even before they get to analysing their data, there's an intervention yes. effect. I wonder if you want to comment on, on that side of things. Well, I, I guess I can comment on that. I mean, there were two, thing, two types of data that we, that we analysed, and most of it, I mean, there were several papers published on qualitative outcomes from this study um, based on the audio transcripts of the reflexive sessions and descriptions of, of, of the process and so on. And that was really the major outcome in many ways. But because it had been initiated by the fact that we had very high MRSA rates and it became obvious as we did repeated point prevalence surveys in the wards that the uh, colonisation rates were actually going down quite sharply. We wanted to capture that quantitative change as well Mm -hmm. and we really didn't know exactly what it was that was changing that and it was complicated by the fact that although the infection control team was very much on board and supportive of this they worked independently as they should that's their job they their job is to try to control the rates of infection and spread of multi-resistant organisms in the hospital and they were so distressed by the very high rates in the initial point prevalence survey that they decided to introduce what turned out to be a complicating factor, which was that they wanted to trial um, a new method of cleaning in the ward with using vaporised hydrogen peroxide, which is something that had been um, mentioned and talked about overseas, but not widely adopted anywhere in Australia, really. And so that was introduced independently and could have had a significant effect on MRSA colonisation rates, although for various reasons, which I don't have time to go into now, we actually didn't think it did uh, really explain the reduction in in colonisation rates. And the other thing that we measured, which was, um, which was more objective in some ways and more uh, reliable, I think, was the infection rates. And that was based on swabs that were sent by clinicians based on clinical indications 
from which MRSA had been isolated. So we assumed that these were at least uh, represented some degree of infection in the patients. And we looked at, at the laboratory data going back to several years before the study uh, and, and on to the time that we finally finished three years after the VRE project. And we found that overall the rates, at least in one of the two wards, continued to fall. The other one was up and down a bit, but it was, it was lower to start with. So all in all, we had a fairly good measure that both colonisation and infection rates with MRSA in these two wards were reducing. And at the same time, although not nearly as much, hand hygiene compliance was increasing, which we believe to be due to the staff having a bit of additional awareness of the fact um, that hand hygiene is important. But it wasn't by far, the; it was certainly by far not the only change in behaviour that came about as a result of their seeing themselves, as it were, as others see them. Yeah. So, for example, some of the things that came out through the video reflexive um, process were people understanding that infection control is not just about washing their hands, actually. It's about movements through space. And I think more, more and more we understand this as a society because of COVID, you know, that infection control is actually very much a spatial activity. It's about mapping how microbes move through um, a particular space and how to stop that, whether it's by people, by cleaning, by setting up boundaries or, you know, setting up buffers. And when we showed footage of people you know, in clinicians, for instance, moving a patient through a ward, they were able to see that. So we had one particular clip, which was, I think, very instructive, which was where they were gowned up in full PPE because the patient in an ICU was found to have rhinovirus and was in an open bed space. So there was a risk to the other patients around the ward. And so they moved this patient to a, sing, um, a single isolated room. And we videoed that process, and when they looked at it, they realized that although they had protected themselves with PPE, they were touching the patient's bed, the patient, and also the environment of the ICU because it was a very crowded ward. Mm-hmm. So they were pushing computers out of the way, you know, moving bins, curtains. And when they looked at that, they realized, well, the infectious risks. But then they were able to devise a strategy to circumvent that, which is to have somebody go ahead of the bed and prepare the way so that those who were already in their PPE and touching the patient didn't have to touch the surroundings. So that was, I think, a really good example of the ways in which they were seeing their work from a new perspective and recognizing risks where previously they might not have because, you know, they're concentrating on doing their job and then devising interesting new strategies. And this is not something that just is limited to the reflexive discussion that we do as researchers. Our hypothesis is that it encourages them to think about that constantly as they do their work. So it's almost a a reversal of the Hawthorne effect, which is, you know, when we say, did they change their behavior because someone was looking at them, in this case, a particular researcher with a video camera? And we're saying that what we're actually hoping is that they carry that sense of being watched, but not by someone else, but by themselves as they go through their daily work so that they're a little bit more reflexive in the process, reflexivity in action um, as they go about their work, which is what leads to behavior change and reduction in infection rates. But it's really hard to measure. I think it's also, you know, about culture as well, because... Those people that were part of your study moving forward may be shifting out of that workspace and new people coming into that workspace. So do you have any idea of how that gets embedded into you know, 
business as usual? There are two things to that. One is that, you know, the constant turnover and movement of clinicians through different units is actually a really good way for them to learn about new practices. Mm -hmm. So in many of our discussions, especially around glove use, we found there were many student nurses, for instance, who would, you know, pipe up and say, but we're being taught not to use gloves unless absolutely necessary. And, you know, that that's an opinion that's really interesting because it changes the perception that, you know, we, we need gloves to do everything with whereas gloves can be a hindrance to doing hand hygiene properly, for instance. So the other thing about this method is it depends very much on the participants, the clinicians, to really take it on themselves Mm -hmm. to continue this work. We've done a few projects, including um, a workshop with some nurses in the Western Sydney Local Health District. And one of our colleagues, Mary Wire, is currently a nurse educator, and she uses this method with great success in her work. We also have colleagues in the um, Netherlands who have worked with particular hospitals who like the method so much that they've incorporated it into their regular quality improvement. And so they actually have a video reflexive team that does this work. I find it really yeah. fascinating. And what you're, what you're telling me, I think, is to stop thinking about data in the tr- and research in the traditional way that we think about it. And it's a really different shift of your mindset, even as a qualitative researcher, which has caused me to have a major shift from my quantitative days. This is another shift. This feels like a whole different way of, of doing research and thinking about research in space and time. If I can just add to that, I mean, I, I had begun to think that, that the quantitative results were less important. The problem is that when you're dealing particularly with doctors who always want evidence um, and they want quantitative evidence, we had this feeling that it would be, you know, if we want to... My fantasy, my goal was to try to introduce VRE or video reflexive methods into the hospital. And to some extent that is now, with Mary in that role, being realised. But in the... When we did this study, it was it was time limited, it was space limited, and the outcomes seemed to be genuine and significant. But you're quite right, there was a turnover of staff, the wards were closed intermittently uh, over Christmas periods and because of budget cuts and so on. There was a lot of disruption to the system and there was also a lot of the confounding factors like the uh, vaporised hydrogen peroxide, which was repeated several times during the study. So it's always difficult doing infection control research because if you just introduce a single uh, intervention, um, there's always something else that confounds it. And um, this has been recognised in infection control research and it's one of the reasons why there's often not good high-level quant quantitative evidence to support it and that's one of the reasons we thought that it was important to try to measure this to get a good statistical analysis of our results and to get it published to try to convince the skeptics that this was a method that was worth doing and that would actually change behavior and I think we've got good evidence that it can do that now. I'd like to thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'm I'm aware of the time, and we're actually we we've run out of time now. I could ask I could sit here for another hour and, and talk about <laughs> yeah. the work that you've been doing and and plans, um, but I would like to thank you. 
um, Lynn Gilbert and Suying Ho for coming to talk to us today about their paper that was in appeared in the August 2020 edition of Infection, Disease and Health with their colleagues Mary Wire, Rosemary Sadsad, Caro and Badcock and Rickadema. And it's entitled Sustained Fall in Inpatient MRSA Prevalence after a video reflexive ethnography project, an observational study. <laughs> 